In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Okay, here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Now, the U.S. Navy SEALs have a reputation as being one of the world's most elite fighting forces. They're often the first soldiers in performing special operations like small direct attacks and special reconnaissance. Because of the dangers that SEALs are placed in, though, Navy SEALs have to be tough, both physically and mentally. Candidates wishing to become Navy SEALs must go through BUDS, or what many military experts describe as the toughest military training in the world. And how does a man prepare for something like that? Well, our guest today helps men prepare for the grueling training of the Navy SEALs. His name is Stu Smith. Stu is a retired Navy SEAL himself and is now a certified strength and conditioning specialist, devoting his time and energy to helping other people achieve their dreams of serving in law enforcement, emergency services, and the military, uh, particularly in the field of special operations. Stu has written several books on the topic of fitness, such as The Complete Guide to Navy SEAL Fitness, The Special Ops Workout, and The SWAT Workout. In addition to writing books, Stu has also appeared on shows like National Geographic's Fight Science, where he provides his expertise on Navy SEAL training. Stu, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor. All right. Well, well, Stu, let's just get right off uh, the first question. Let's just talk about your background, because I'm sure our listeners are interested in your experience as a Navy SEAL. Why did you become a, a Navy SEAL? Well, uh, ooh, good question. Uh, I would have to say that uh, my, my first objective was I knew I wanted to serve my country somehow, and I really wasn't sure in my early teens because you know, I have family members that are firemen, police officers, military retirees and veterans. I knew one of those things I was going to do. Um, and you know, I wound up going to the Naval Academy and then really starting to learn more about uh, Navy SEALs. Uh, originally, I decided I wanted to probably be a pilot when I went to the Naval Academy, but then there were some SEALs on board, and I tell you what, they just kicked our butts, and it was something that uh, I, I guess I enjoyed. And uh, I, I knew I wasn't going to play any more football, um, so I decided to turn my body around from a powerlifting football player into more of a endurance type, you know, stamina, stamina guy like uh, Navy SEAL training required. And uh, took me a couple of years to do it, but uh, wound up doing it and just I've been doing it ever since. Wow. I'm in my 40s now and, and really enjoy that type of training. Wow. And so how long were you a Navy SEAL? Uh, almost uh, eight years. Wow. So I, I didn't retire. Okay. Retirees are you know twenty years and above, but I resigned after eight years. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Well, it, it, so like I said in the intro, I, and I've seen plenty of shows about this, but the Navy SEALs buds training, uh, it has a reputation of being one of the most grueling physical experiences in the world. 
And what goes on at a typical buds training? Well, I, I will tell you this: it, it is grueling. Um, it's you know pretty challenging. Uh, however, if you go there very prepared, and when I say very prepared, I mean being able to run and swim and do hundreds of repetitions of calisthenics. Um, you actually do pretty well. And, um, you know, I, after four years of Naval Academy, I actually thought Naval Academy or, or BUDS training was um, a lot easier than uh, four years at the Naval Academy. So uh, it, it is possible to make it through that type of training, but it requires really a couple years of preparation to do it. But, you know, an average day, you're probably going to spend a couple hours each day doing some kind of workout, and these are usually calisthenic-based pull-ups, lots of variety of abs, uh, push-ups, dips, um, usually four or five miles worth of running. Um, however, there's extra things that go on through the day that just kind of grind on you, like uh, just running to meals. It's, it's a mile run to where you eat from where you train and a mile back. So you do that three times a day. And then... You know, typically every week there's a, a two-mile ocean swim. Um, there's a four-mile timed run on the beach in boots and pants. And, you know, there's an obstacle course. It's a pretty tough obstacle course. Typical obstacle course takes you about, you know, anywhere from seven to eight minutes. But it's it's so hard. I mean, it's in soft sand, lots of upper body work, rope climbs, you know, things like that. And, uh and, of course, you know, all the boats that you see on the documentaries, you know, carrying those boats around for several hours a day wears you out, too. So, you know, after, you know, 12 to 14-hour day of that, you know, you're pretty done. Wow, yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, and one of the things that you, you often see in the documentaries and the shows about Buds is that, that infamous bell that you ring if you're ready to quit. Um, why, why do you think – I mean, what, what – what separates the men from the boys in, in buds training? Why do men fail the, the the training program? Well, you know that bell was something that I think we all kind of feared, but we didn't want to go anywhere near it because we, we were afraid that if we went anywhere near it, it would kind of suck you in, you know. So um, I, every time it came out, I just wouldn't even look at it. You know, <laughs> it was one of those things that you know I just tried to avoid. Um, but you know, unfortunately, there is. A, the majority of the people that go to SEAL training don't make it. And the prime reason is they're just not prepared. And that can be a variety of things, prepared mentally or prepared physically. And when I say mentally, maybe you're just not prepared to handle, you know, people yelling at you and being stressed out and being tired and having to do the same thing over again. Maybe it's, you know, mentally as well because you're very uncomfortable because you always have sand on you. So you're going to have sand in your pants and your boots, you know, pretty much all day. I mean, you're just wet and sandy most of the day. So there's a discomfort level that's not, uh, that's a big killer. Um, physically, you know, people fail in the runs, the swims, uh, not being very comfortable in the water and the water's cold. That's another one. Um, you know, typically the water's somewhere between 50 and 60 degrees. Uh, year-round out there, and it doesn't take long to, you know, really get hypothermic. Uh, but those are usually the biggest things. I mean, injuries occur as well, you know, from people not being properly physically conditioned enough to handle the mileage of running and the long ocean swims as well. Huh. I, I imagine there's, I, I can see a lot of uh, men 
who think they're really physically fit and in shape think they can just walk in and breeze by, but they actually weren't prepared for the training. Does that happen a lot? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, people think that, you know, a 45 or 60 minute, you know, workout in the weight room is going to prepare you for, you know, a, a day at SEAL training. But when that day at SEAL training is, you know, 12 hours of some form of activity, you know, no 45 to 60 minute weight room workout is going to do it. I mean, you really need to spend, you know, several hours in a day running and swimming and doing calisthenics. You can add some weights if you need to, uh, just to work on your upper body strength. But, uh, for the most part, it's just, it's lack of preparation and, and just thinking that you're prepared just because you were maybe a high school athlete and this is what you did for football training. You know, it's really a different thing. I, I Like I said, I had my wake-up call when I went to Naval Academy and realized that I was not in shape. <laughs> and uh, I thought I was. And, uh, you know, I, I could bench press a truck, but, you know, I couldn't do sets of 50 push-ups over and over and over again like the guys that were going to SEAL training could. And they just they just beat us down. And, uh, you know, I was like, i got to get in better shape. So... It was one of the things I just made a mental change and said, I'm going to try to do this thing and do it right. And, and uh, luckily we had a lot of good examples that were years in front of us that made it through and, you know, kind of taught us how to do it and, you know, helped out a lot. Yeah. So, so you, you talked a lot about preparation, that if a man prepares, Bud's isn't that bad. So I mean, what can uh, a, a person or man who's interested in becoming a Navy SEAL, I mean, what can they do to prepare for the training? Well... You know, like I said earlier, it, it requires, you know, just running to meals at six miles a day. You know, so, I mean, you need to be able to handle um, many miles in a week, you know, total mileage in a week of running. Um, you know, I would recommend trying to get up to, you know, 25 to 35 miles of running per week, you know, comfortably without injury um, to be up before you really you know, sign on the dotted line to go into SEAL training. Um, swimming is the same thing. Um, not that kind of mileage, obviously, but, you know, being able to wear fins on your feet and be able to swim for a couple miles is really a, a big requirement. And and that one kills people, not so much the cold water, the fact that they didn't prepare their legs and ankles for wearing fins in the ocean. And, you know, for a moment, you know, that's the moment when the instructors aren't yelling at you whenever you're swimming. So I actually enjoyed it, but I did a lot of swimming prior to it and was able to actually have fun in the water. Um, and after that, you know, instead of, you know, trying to bench press a truck and trying to get a 400-pound bench press, you're going to want to be able to do 400 push-ups, you know, not at one time, but within a workout, you know, and sit-ups and pull-ups. You know, some of your pull-up workouts probably need to be, you know, by the time you add it all up, you know, well over a hundred repetitions of pull-ups. So wow. that's how your workouts are going to be there. Yeah, so. yeah. I guess I imagine that's a, a big change for how most men work out. Because I think a lot of yeah. men are more interested in the the benching, bench pressing a, a truck as opposed to reps. Right. Yeah. Well, real quick, um, Stu, based on your experience as a, as a Navy SEAL, what do you think are four lessons in manliness that an average Joe can take from a Navy SEAL? I will say this. One thing I learned about SEAL training is that those who make it through never quit. 
And that's a big lesson for me. And so whether I'm doing something around the house or doing something for my work, you know, that never quit attitude is, is a great lesson in life. And I, I still really carry it on with me today, whether it's, you know, my, you know, mowing my grass and it's dark out or, you know, it's, it's working on a project that I have a deadline and, you know, the next morning, you know, working out, working through the night to get it done. You know, never quit is, is a great, a great, um, a great lesson, I guess, that you, you can take with you. Um, and that's just being stubborn, really, is all it is. Um, learn to deal with uh, discomfort. And, and what that will do for you is it'll help you appreciate comfort more. Because uh, one thing that I love to do is, and that's about the only time where I sit still, is during football season, I sit down in my basement and watch football. And I just love it. You know, every Sunday, spend a couple hours. Sometimes if there's good games, I will clock up eight or ten hours of watching football. And I just love it. Um, I try to earn that by busting my butt that morning uh, working out. But, you know, it's something that I really enjoy. And there's nothing quite like being comfortable, laying on my couch, you know, flicking the remote, you know, nice and warm basement, you know, there, there were those moments of discomfort where I was cold and wet and sandy and miserable that, uh, you know, I can look back honestly and say, you know, I sucked that up. That was pretty good. I could still do it again if I needed to. But, you know, right now I'm really quite content sitting right here doing nothing. <laughs> you know, it, just, it just makes the little moments that much better if you can learn to deal with discomfort and not whine about it. Yeah. That's kind of a long answer. Um, so learn to deal with discomfort. Uh, the next one is um, uh, prepare, preparation. I mean, whether you're preparing for an event, you know, we can call that event a mission. Um, you know, you need some motivation to complete that mission, and, you know, you got to be willing to work to make it happen. What I come down to, basically, a real quick one is preparation, motivation, and perspiration. You know, it's a great little... Uh, yeah three-part saying that I use often, um, you know, no matter what I'm doing, it requires those three, those three things. And the last one uh, is humility. And uh, one thing that you'll always see is that typically is, um, you know, you pretty much have to pull pull it out of, of a guy when you meet him, you know, if he was a SEAL or a former SEAL. I know when people, you know, say, hey, he was in the Navy. I said, yeah, I was in the Navy for a while. And you know, I get to talking to them for a good half hour for, for you know, really, you know, they start pulling things out of me. Well, what did you do in the Navy? I said, well, you know, I was stationed here. You know, it's just one of those things that, you know, you don't have to wear on your sleeve mm-hmm. uh, that you were. Um, but uh, humility is a big one. I mean, and it doesn't have to be just because you were a former SEAL, but just over anything. Yeah, you know? have some humility. Yeah, being able to say, yeah, I'm wrong yeah. when you're wrong, and, you know, <laughs> let your wife win. Yeah. All the arguments makes everybody happier. <laughs> yeah, just everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means more room for your gear. 
And there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. And now back to the show. Well, well Stu, you resigned uh, your commission as, as a SEAL, I guess, almost 10 years ago it's been? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's been a, long, a yeah. decade now. Yeah. Well, and so you, now you devote your time to training individuals who want to do what you did, um, people who are wanting to do special ops in the military, uh, also, the, just the police and firefighting and emergency uh, rescue. Um, what's your approach to fitness and getting these men and women ready for their respective work? Well, you know, the cool thing about it is there's no gray area in what these men and women have to do at their training programs. Typically, they all have a um, a fitness test that they have to take, and and it's fairly competitive no matter what branch of service it is, no matter what local law enforcement or firefighting department is, it's competitive to get in, and you really need to have good scores and not just, you know, minimum standard scores. You know, I tell people, you know, you know, just because it says you can pass with 20 push-ups doesn't mean that's your goal to get 20 push-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the minimum standard, and that's like getting a D on a test. You know, yeah. if, if you score these minimum standards, and you know, t- you know, statistically, people who score better on those entrance exams do better in that training. No matter what the training is, whether it's SEAL training or it's Maryland State Police Department, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, typically, the folks that score well on those entrance exams do well at the training and, and succeed. Um, and then, secondarily. Um, it's, you know, preparing them for the training at hand. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, they're not going to have certain events that, um, that are being tested, you know, but like if you go to ranger school, you're going to have to put about 50, 60 pounds on your back in a backpack and be able to move around with that thing pretty much all day long, um, for miles and hours. Um, you know, that's something that you need to practice because if your first day showing up at ranger training is putting on a backpack, for the first time, you're going to be hurt, you know. So it's just really preparing people for their actual, uh, you know, grueling physical events that they have to take. Yeah. So very, very functional as opposed to, to, I guess, kind of the typical things you often see going on at the gym. Well, yeah, but, I mean, there's nothing wrong with gym workouts. Don't don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I, um, I'm a big fan of them. You know, like I said, I was a power lifter and spent many, many hours, you know, in the gym you know, doing set, three sets of five bench press and three sets of five squats. And, you know, I, I cut my teeth on, on that type of training. Um, but, you know, when it comes to a job where your life or your partner's life or a person you're trying to save's life um, really rests in your hands um, and your fitness level can, you know, really be a good predictor of whether or not, you know, you're going to survive or not, it's very important, and that's what I really try to stress to the young men and women that are about to go serve their country in, in any capacity, is that you know, fitness could mean life or death for you. It really could. 
Yeah. You know, if you can show up there in good shape, you know, you have a better chance of making it through the training, being less stressed at the training, so you can actually learn your job a little better, and, you know, being able to save some life life if, if need be. Yeah. So what about nutrition? What's your philosophy about nutrition? Are you one of those uh, advocate of caveman eating? Do you use supplements? I mean, what what's your approach to nutrition when you're advising uh, your clients? Uh, good one. Um, you know, I, I've never been big in the supplements. Um, just never have. Uh, always been kind of natural. And my take on supplements is, is like this. Um, pretty much, if you're like, are you familiar with the MRE? Mm-hmm. In the military, meal ready to eat. Yeah, basically a meal in a bag you put in your backpack, and you know if you don't have a cafeteria, um, you know you eat it out in the field. Mm-hmm. Well, that's my kind of take on supplements. Basically, what if I don't have good food, uh, whether it's at my house or I can't make it to a good restaurant and get a big salad or something like that? What I'm going to do is, you know, I'll supplement. In that in that day, if I if I need to. However, if I have the food, I don't really really need the supplements because I eat good meats, good proteins, you know, good complex carbohydrates and salads, fruits and vegetables, and things like that. That's that's kind of where I am, and I really focus more on performance fitness. Mm-hmm. So if you're you know, like I said, working out hard, you're working out several times a day or a couple times a day, um, you know, you really need to eat often and eat a lot. However, not everybody's in that mentality, so I understand that. So I've also been doing a lot of reading and trying to find something that that I think is cool, that I think will work. Um, it's a little controversial, but, it, you know, it's similar to the caveman diet that you asked me about. It's mm-hmm. called the warrior diet. You ever mm-hmm. heard of that one? I have not heard of that one. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's um, uh, Ori's, a, you know, former Israeli Defense Force, special ops guy, um, the guy who um, uh, wrote it. And um, it makes a lot of sense. I'm testing it out right now, and I'm testing it out in the in the meat of my workout program because typically the way I work out is throughout the year I create a big bell curve of the 12 months. And basically between April, May, June, July, and August, that's the longest days of the year. There, therefore, those are my longest workouts. And then towards the second half of the, or the, you know, last quarter of the year and the first quarter of the next year kind of taper down and start building back up. So I go through this big sign curve through the year and basically just, it's kind of like what I call my solstice training program. You know, if the days are longer, my workouts are longer. Yeah. Right. If they're shorter, my workouts are shorter. And it, what has enabled me to do at 41 years old is maintain some longevity, and I still am able to do, you know, workouts with 20-year-old kids that want to be SEALs. Wow. And uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun kind of doing it that way. And I, like I said, I just go through a little cycle, just basic periodization in, uh, you know, physiology and, um, you know, just cycle it through because there's no way you can maintain a peak level of performance year-round. You know, there's an off-season, there's an on-season, and yeah. that's basically all it is for me. Huh. So you mentioned this warrior diet. I mean, what are some of the kind of controversial aspects of it? Of which? Of oh, you, you mentioned that the warrior diet has kind of some controversial... Well, it's just not your typical meal plan. You know, it's not your typical meal plan of, you know, you, you eat breakfast, you eat lunch, you have a snack, you know. He's, he's all about 
you know, not eating, you know, and going through a little bit of a hunger phase during the day and kind of cleans out your system. And, you know, he says soldiers have to get used to being hungry. Yeah. You know, so, and, and that's true. I mean, at Ranger School, you don't eat but one MRE a day, wow. you know. And, yeah, I mean, it's and it's basically to simulate, hey, what supply can't get to you, right? Yeah. And you're out in the middle of nowhere, and you just have to rely on, you know, what's there and one one meal a day. So it's kind of a rationing mentality that they go through their training. They lose a lot of weight out there at uh, Ranger School. Yeah, man. Um, but you know, it's it's just it has some like I said, it has some controversial things to it. The the one thing that uh, usually I will shut any diet book down if it tells me I can't drink beer, <laughs> and that's just just one of those things. If it says you know you need to stop drinking beer, otherwise you know that's yeah. You know, I don't drink a lot of beer. I don't drink a lot of beer, but you know I enjoy beer with a with barbecue. Your football games. Yeah, with my football game. Yeah. Um, you know, and even then, you know it's. It's one or two. You know, I'm, I'm not drinking six-pack down in my basement, you know, <laughs> watching watching a football game. Otherwise, I'd be completely useless. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, moderation, everything in moderation, that includes beer. Yeah. Well, well Stu, most of your programs that you have on your site, that you the books you sell, um, are geared towards primarily to help people train to prepare for uh, work in, in the military. Um, can a man who isn't in the military, doesn't plan on becoming a special ops guy, still benefit from your programs? Oh, yeah, sure. In fact, I have many guys who've, um, who used to be in the Navy or military, um, never been in the military or law enforcement, and uh, have been using my routines uh, for years um, at, at all ages. You know, a couple, it's neat to get emails from guys who are in their 50s, you know, early 60s that are you know, still able to crank out pull-ups, you know, in their workout. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of them have, have altered. Instead of running, they do more swimming and biking, a little less, you know, impact on their joints. But, you know, it, whatever cardio you can get, you still need to get some kind of cardiovascular activity. And, you know, nothing wrong with non-impact cardio as well. I'm, two things I'm probably going to do as I age will be uh, swimming and yoga, you know, and uh, I'm not doing yoga right now, but definitely when I become a, you know, dirty old man, I'll be doing <laughs> yoga. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do final question. I mean, what's the one thing that holds people back from getting in shape? Because I know I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners who are like, man, I really need to get off my butt and start, you know, working out. Um, what What's holding them back and what can they do to over, overcome that? Whew, good one. Um, my, uh, my biggest thing that I've seen people have problems with is they start doubting themselves. And typically it's not immediately, right? Some people will doubt people right, doubt themselves right from the start and, you know, not even try. But there, most folks are very motivated. They go buy a gym membership for a year in that first week of being highly motivated and they're ready to go do this thing. You know, you, you notice that the gyms are packed in January. You know, every New Year's resolution, yeah. and by February, it's gone. Yeah. Well, that, that's what happens to most of us. We're very motivated that first few weeks, and then, bam, phase two hits, and I call this phase two, is you start doubting yourself. What I try to tell people is just go ahead and start doubting yourself from the start, right, and get over it as quickly as possible because it's – 
it's a natural phase that that happens, and I call it the five phases of fitness, five psychological phases of fitness. You know, that first phase is highly motivated. You're ready to do anything, ready to go, ready to train for a marathon. You know, phase two, bam, about two weeks into it, you're done, right? You've quit. You know, you mm-hmm. see no results yet. You just haven't given it up. But really, it's it's all about the long haul. You know, like, don't don't worry about the two weeks. Let's worry about the whole year. Yeah. Right. And wait for results at the whole year, because I tell people all the time that, you know, give me give me a month and change the way you look. You know, give me a year. I can change your life. Yeah. And it's really true. You spend the whole year adding fitness to your life. You would be a whole different person that later of the year. And like I said, phase three is you've conquered your doubt. Now you're ready to roll and you're just you've created a habit of fitness. That's the biggest thing. Once you conquer your doubt, you've kind of created that habit. And once you've created that habit, it's really hard to get out of it. You know, it's you, you really kind of miss it whenever you're you're not able to work out. And you'll you'll find little ways to squeeze in a workout, whether it's just doing crunches and push-ups at the end of the day or going for a walk after dinner. You know, you'll you'll find a way to do something. And then that phase four is all of a sudden now you're fit and you're associating yourself with people who are fit, you know, and you have more confidence and you can do other things and, you know, you're able to run up and down the steps without being winded. You know, just these little things that occur to you and you realize, wow, there is, there are some really big results here other than, you know, me trying to see my six-pack abs, right? Mm -hmm. Just better quality of life. And then my final and last phase five is, uh, you know, you start, um, planning. You start saying, you know, I'm going to run a 10K, you know, or I'm going to run a marathon, or you start setting physical goals for yourself, whether that's you want to bench press 400 pounds or you want to run a marathon. doesn't matter. Cool thing about it, fitness is a journey, not a destination, and you just keep bouncing from one journey to the next. Awesome. Well, Stu, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, great. Thank you. Our guest today was Stu Smith. Stu is a personal trainer who focuses on helping men prepare for work in the military, special operations, fire departments, and police work. For more information about Stu's work and programs, check out his website at stusmith.com. And that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And until next week, stay manly.